is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey everyone, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 442, recorded on Thursday, July 25th, 2019. Welcome to the program, everyone. Welcome, Jason. Thank you. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. How's it going this week? It is going perfect this week, Chris. How about you? <laughs> really good. Um, are you? Have you watched The Walking Dead Season 10 trailer anymore since we recorded about it on, on Monday? No. No? No, no, I, I didn't. I probably will never watch it again. Oh, you're just gearing up for the season at this point then. Yeah. No, I, you know, I've assimilated all the information into the back of my brain and, uh, yeah, I don't think I need, need to watch that again. All right. Well, that's really There's good. Other, I... other stuff to watch like the uh, Star Trek Picard trailer. Yeah. I have not watched that because it doesn't generate a lot of interest in me, but I did watch Top Gun and Westworld season three and things like that. Your brain is flawed. Maybe. It's just simply flawed. I mean, that is going to be awesome. I've heard it's the Picard show is going to be awesome, but having never watched a single episode of any Star Trek TV show in my life, I have a hard time thinking about starting now. So you got six months. You can do it. What? I'm going to watch all of them? You don't, you can, you can skip uh, the original series, but just start with uh, Adventure at Farpoint or whatever the hell the first uh, TNG episode is and you could probably skip all of voyager even though i think uh uh, well the the voyager gets into a lot into the borg so you might need that information because it's going to be relevant in the in the picard show Mm -hmm. so uh yeah you better watch it all i get the feeling you could probably talk about this for a long time but i won't know anything about what you're talking about because i haven't seen any of it so do you know what a borg is i've heard the word they're the big square guys right well, they're not square guys. They have square ships. Square Some ships. ships are square, but uh, yeah, they're they're uh, a series of uh, cyborgs, hence the word Borg, that mm. are in a an intellectual collective. Like they're mentally all mentally linked. So an individual drone doesn't really have a lot of uh, individuality, but uh, collectively they're very smart and very capable and very dangerous. That's funny. And, I mean. You'd think that the word Borg would immediately make me think of Cyborg, but I've never put those two together before until right now. Oh, yeah. Well, Weird. Did you watch any of the movies, Star Trek movies? I've seen some of them here and there, but I can't even tell you which ones at this point. I, I saw the new ones, the or one of the new ones with uh, Chris, Pine. Know, Chris Pine. Yeah. Yeah. So That's okay. That's anyways, okay. that's not my- not making any more of those. That's my history with uh, Star Trek, which is not very extensive. Uh, my history with The Walking Dead, though, is pretty extensive, and yeah. that's what we're really here to discuss. Of course, we are going to talk about Season 5, Episode 8, the mid-season finale of Fear the Walking Dead. But first, Jason, I need to deliver some Fear the Walking Dead news right into your ear holes. In, in my ear holes? Into your ear holes specifically, that's right. Okay, well... Uh... Stick it away. And, well, I'm I'm gonna play this call from Dave in Chicago first. Um, it's it's a little bit related to the current episode, but he also brings up this news item. So let's hear what Dave has wait, to say. Wait, 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 wait. Does this have anything to do with the uh, the uh, second half of the season trailer? No. Okay, good. Because we're we got a plan for that, right? Remember? 
Right. I, I think what we'll do is after we talk about this episode, we'll play the trailer for you and you can instant yeah. react to it. Yeah. Okay. That'll That's be good. exciting. Because I still don't have any any information about uh, about that trailer or what's going to happen. No, no, no. This is from Dave in Chicago about, okay. uh, well, you'll find out. Hey, Chris and Jason. This is Dave from Chicago. Uh, this is my first time calling in, uh, but I've been listening to you guys since the episode where Rick killed Shane in season two of the main show. Um. I really enjoy listening to you guys um, and usually listen on my commute to work. Um, and I, I really enjoy listening to you guys talk about pretty much anything. Uh, so keep up the good work. Um, I wanted to give some general feedback on season five of Fear the Walking Dead. Um, I, I I didn't watch it as it was airing, but I binged all eight episodes this week after the last episode aired. And um, I was really disappointed in this season and pretty much think the show could be, should be canceled at this point. I saw they renewed it for season six, but um, I don't think they should have. Um, I think the, the show is tanning the Walking Dead universe as a whole, um, and they should just merge it in with the Rick movies or, or the main show. Um, I think the main problem with season five is there's no actual conflict. So there's no real bad guy, and then the the walkers aren't even um, a threat anymore. Um, and it's ironic the show is called Fear the Walking Dead, and nobody on the show fear fears the Walking Dead. Um, but so yeah, thanks guys. Uh, keep up the good work, and uh, I guess I'll keep watching Fear just so I can listen to you guys podcast about it. All right, thanks. Bye. Thank you so much, Dave. So the news is, of course, that Fear the Walking Dead was renewed for season six. Jason, what do you think of this news? I, I'm confused by it, but I accept it. it. The only the phrase that comes to mind is it was reviewed for uh, a sixth season for some reason. Re- renewed, not reviewed, but yes. Reviewed, but renewed for, for a sixth season for whatever. I don't understand the reasoning, but <laughs> I'm not a television executive. So, and I'm not in charge of any budget of anything except for my own and only a little bit in charge of that. I'm more of a contributing uh, consultant. (laughs) Okay, fair (laughs) enough. (laughs) So you're not in charge of anything. You don't know how TV executives make decisions. And in this case, they've decided to renew the show for season six. I'm sure there are all kinds of factors that they go. probably know something we don't, right? Like they know about the overarching plan. Of course. Right? I, you know, when they when they developed the MCU, they kind of drew the whole thing out on this big piece of paper. And then they showed that big piece of paper to the executives. And they're like, yeah, you want to make 20 movies? By all means. You know, we'll make some movies and make some money. So maybe they have such awesome plans that they're planning on doing for the next season that we don't know about. That uh, executives are like, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's green light that. Let's hand them a bag of money. Well, you know, I can't help but think that once Gimple took over as the overseer of the entire Walking Dead TV universe, he probably w- worked with other people, but, you know, c- came up with a long-term plan for where they were going. We have The Walking Dead. We have Fear the Walking Dead. We have the new show starting, and we have the Rick Grimes movies coming. So there's a, there's four different um, elements to this universe that they all have to sort of tie in together. So I wouldn't be surprised if he went to the executives at AMC and said, guys, The Walking Dead's not going anywhere. 
We've got Rick Grimes movies coming up. You've already greenlit those, so they're not going anywhere. We've got this new this new show starting. Um, presumably, you've committed to that for at least one season, maybe more. Yeah. And we've got Fear the Walking Dead. Fear the Walking Dead is the wild card in all of this. It's not doing great. Um, maybe we can turn it around. Maybe not. But why don't you give me two seasons to either turn it around and get it going again or sort of integrate it into the greater Walking Dead universe in a bigger way and then we'll move on from it. And so I feel like season six of Fear the Walking Dead was a guarantee the moment Gimple came on board or or at least the moment he convinced everybody that here's my plan, you know, right. told them the plan and convinced everyone it was a good idea. So I'm not surprised that it's been renewed. Maybe six will be the last one. Maybe season six will be wildly successful and they'll just keep it going after that. But at the same time, I feel like that would be a deviation from what we think is probably the plan at this point. But we really don't know. Yeah. And maybe it's a, it's a ploy to screw over Frank Darabont. Uh, you know, you have the main show. <laughs> Still and, working uh, on he's, screwing over Frank. <laughs> yeah, because there, there's a lawsuit. Uh, Frank's uh, going after their Hollywood accounting where they're saying that they don't make any money because, you know, they have to, all the profits from the show are going into marketing of the show. So they're not actually profits, but they are profits, but they're not profits. Right. Maybe the profits from that show are funding this show. And on a, on a balance sheet, it all shows as a loss so that they don't have to pay uh, uh, Frank Darabont for uh, for anything. So nobody makes any money. Exactly. Except for, you know, cause, cause Morgan's on this show and Morgan was originally, he was in the pilot of the first show. So Frank Darabont's got some, he's got some money on Morgan. God, right? some, sometimes I forget that Morgan was in the pilot of the original show. You know, he was an original character. Yeah. And look at him now. Look at where he is now. It, it's almost hard to believe where he came from and where he's ended up. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, maybe the whole thing is uh, just a way to financially screw over Frank Darabont. Well, I wouldn't be entirely surprised if that was the case, but who knows. Uh, what about the point that Dave made in his call that there is no conflict in season five of fear the walking dead. Well, Max Headroom was supposed to be the conflict when we first saw him. I thought like, wow, he's going to be the conflict. You know, Max Headroom's a bad guy. That'd be awesome. Well, that's what we thought. Yeah. Yeah. But it totally was like not a non-issue. And then, uh, Daniel was a, a bad guy for a little while. He was, he was, you know, opposing them for a little bit, but now mm -hmm. he's on board. So, uh, the walkers are not really a conflict. Yeah. There's no, there's no bad guy. I mean, maybe the, uh, the nuclear power plant was the bad guy in this half season. Well, I think it might be more of a man against nature story, you know, because man they're against broken plane. Well, that's sort of what I mean. You know, they're stuck in this place. There isn't a bad guy. There isn't a, a human being that is the villain. There is the fact that they are stuck somewhere and they have to overcome that. That's that's a form of conflict. There's uh -huh. the fact that there's a nuclear plant uh, uh, melting down. That's, you know, kind of gives them a deadline for leaving, but is a form of conflict. So there's these sort of man against nature or man against things they can't, they don't control, right? Uh, but there isn't the typical heroes against villains, at least so yeah. far this season, you know? It sounds kind of like my life, right? <laughs> we had, uh, you know, there's no actual bad guy in my life. The conflict is around, you know, me battling reality 
and right. myself and a nuclear power plant within a couple of kilometers of me, which is, you know, granted is not melting down and probably never will. I yeah. Mean, let's hope not. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, but then again, nobody's, you know, they're not clamoring at my door to write, write a TV show about me. If only they were, I'd watch that show. Yeah. I'd sell the rights. And I'd then sell I'd... it in a heartbeat. I want to write your story. <laughs> yeah. Fine. No problem. <laughs> 20 bucks. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. I'll, I'll take 25. <laughs> <laughs> I'd podcast about your life story. Yeah. That'd be weird. I'd, it'd be a little weird. <laughs> Maybe I should. You and me. There you go. Okay, well, let's dig into Season 5, Episode 8 of Fear the Walking Dead. And I've got a title read here for us. Hello, is anybody out there? Are there any viewers left who are still watching this show? Thank you, Scott in Arkansas, for that rendition awesome. of Pink Floyd doing, well, is anybody out there? That's what I'm going to call it. <laughs> yeah. No, that was, uh, that was great. And a very good point that uh, maybe the name of the, the episode was for the audience. Anybody left? Hello? Well, I can tell you that there were 1.6 million viewers for this episode, which is a little bit of an increase uh, based on last week, which was the lowest of all time. But I think that increases strictly because this is a mid-season finale, and they tend yeah. to get a little bit bigger audience. Yeah, a little bit. Because, they, well, they spend a little bit more on marketing for these episodes, right? I guess, I guess they do. I mean, if someone doesn't watch the season and then just tunes in for the finale episode, that seems weird to me, but I, I guess it happens. Or it could be more marketing, so people don't forget that it's on and they tune in. Or, you know, maybe they're they're thinking, oh, shit, I got uh, seven episodes on my DVR. I better catch up for the uh, season, uh, the mid-season finale. And they watch them all in a row. That's a good point, actually. I'm sure lots of people do that. They bank them up, watch them, and then, you know, yeah, and then tune into the mid-season finale live. Yeah. Like, or what I do is I bank television uh, shows up and I go, oh, I'm going to watch that. That sounds good. I'm going to watch, oh, a new season. I'm going to watch that and that sounds good. And then I delay it until the show's canceled and I go, really? Is it worth it? I'm not really sure that I, I'm going to get to all of that. Yeah, that's happened to Agents me. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., for example. Correct, you know, yeah. Got all those, but I don't know if I'm ever going to watch them. And now it's done. It's doing one more year. So. Exactly. You know, that kind of thing. Or maybe... Uh, Mr. Robot, I watched the first season, really liked it, but uh, kind of fell off. They're still doing that, are they? Uh, I watched the first season of Mr. Robot 2 and fell off. I don't know if it's still going. That happened to me with Caprica, the uh, oh, yeah. Battlestar Galactica spinoff. I, mm -hmm. I banked some of those up and then didn't get around to watching it, and then it was canceled, and I thought, well, is it even worth it now? Yeah, it's not. I've seen all of Caprica. It's okay. not. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Let's start our coverage here of the mid-season finale of Fear with a call from Lee. Hey, Chris and Jason. Uh, this is Lee in St. Catharines, and I got my feedback for the mid-season finale of Fear. Um, that was such a happy, happy episode. I mean, not only did they all come together and basically have a big group hug at the end, um, but nobody died. I mean, you've got Wendell in the wheelchair who gets attacked by a walker, and so then he shoots the other walker, and he crawls away, looks back, and the first walker is gone. I, I don't know what happened there, but he survived, which is awesome. And then Alicia not only gets 
uh, walker blood in her mouth, not to mention irradiated walker blood in her mouth. You just have a shower and, and you're fine. There's, there's no worries. Maybe she'll die down the road. Who knows? And then I look back on episode one of this season and the plane they just flew in season in episode one was on its fucking side. It was completely missing a pl- an air, uh, a, a wing. I don't get it. That, that's just so far fetched, but that's what this show is. And you know what? I don't fucking care. It's awesome. So whatever. So there's some more, you can have some more bullshit sandwiches to your, uh, Nick pick picnic. I hope. Talk to you soon, guys. Bye. All right. Thanks, Lee. So there's some things in there that he, he brought up, but the one thing that I really wanted to touch on here is that towards the end of his call, he said something like, you know, there's just all this kind of crap in here that you got to just accept. And that's the kind of show this is. And it was awesome. And I think I'm starting to come around to that idea a little bit. If you can just sort of accept this show for what it is, all of its quirks and craziness, there's some stuff to like in here. If you, if you can get past all of the stuff that, well, is obviously just dumb. And and I am starting to come around to that idea as well because this episode I actually didn't mind it. There was some there was some fun stuff in here. And sure, how we got here was insane and totally freaking crazy. But the plane taking off was fun. Landing was fun. The conversations that took place on the plane were fine. And it was there was definitely some things to like so i think maybe you just have to take fear for what it is find what you can like in it and just turn a blind eye to everything that makes no sense at all well yeah that's a lot to ask of an audience member it really is i agree with that i agree with that but and and a lot of people might not be able to do it it's this reminds reminds me of going to dinner at a girlfriend's house in uh when i was in high school uh Going to sit down with her family who bickered and was generally awkward and uncomfortable for me. And the food wasn't very good and it was weird and I didn't like it, (laughs) but I kind of, you know, suffered through all of that bullshit because I was interested in the girl. And, uh, so I had to accept a lot of crap uh, from her family and that dinner that didn't make any sense to me. Uh, and then I would continuously go back every, every week or so I'd be invited back for dinner and I would go knowing full well that it was going to be awkward and bickery with food that was gross generally. And like, how do you screw up corn? Like friggin' corn. You, you cream it. I don't like cream. Or, or you cream it or you kernel it or you do something, but they made this corn and they put in, I don't even know what the hell was in there, but it was not good corn. How do you screw up corn? Okay. I don't know, but it's, Yeah. Anyway, so there's a lot of bullshit that you have to put up with in life in order to achieve what you want out of life, or at least to spend time with who you want out of life. Mm-hmm. So maybe this show is the equivalent of uh, a family dinner with my girlfriend in high school. There's a lot of bullshit sandwiches that you have to get through in order to enjoy the stuff that you want to enjoy. I think that's a pretty good analogy. That is where I am getting to with this show. I don't think I'm totally there yet. But I've, I've been able to recognize the things that I do think are, are good, or at least that I can enjoy amongst all the stuff that I can't. And for a while there, I was focusing on all that bad stuff and not able to see beyond it. But you know what? 
the show is what it is. I'm never going to claim that this season or the last season are by any definition good seasons, especially when compared with other Walking Dead stuff or with other shows. But yeah, maybe it's just having a different set of standards. And I don't know if that's a fair thing to <laughs> just, do, but it you know, is what life it is. is not bad if you can lower your standards enough. Yeah, anything can seem great then. Yeah, if you if you lower your standards and uh, just accept stuff that is really really crappy, that's the secret to life right there. It's not uh, you know, uh achieving your goals or being happy. It's being able to sufficiently lower your standards to accept the bullshit that life offers you on a plate. And I guess there are mountains and mountains of that. So you have to figure out how to do that. Yeah. Another thing I realized, speaking of the, uh, the plane that was broken and the wing was off uh, and accepting that bullshit sandwich, uh, I realized something. It's the Millennium Falcon. It's a piece of junk and it shouldn't fly. But Chewie and Han keep that suck together, sucker together with spit and twine and luck. And they're trying to get the, the light speed engine to work and they're flying away. They're, well, the Millennium Falcon is flying away from, uh, uh, you know, imminent danger while both Han and Chewie are trying to fix things so they can get away from there. Who's flying the thing? The answer is nobody. Nobody's flying the thing. Well, the onboard navigation computer. That's a navigation computer, not a friggin' autopilot. But we know where that computer came from now, right? we do now, yeah, but it's a navigation computer. It's knowledge. It's not, hey, you fly the plane. It's not a droid. It's just the knowledge from that droid. Slight spoiler alert. I apologize. You know, comparing the plane on this show to the Millennium Falcon likes me makes me like the plane on the show a little bit more well there was one scene well there's the scene where they were revving up the engines and getting going and working and everything was jumping around and uh i have another comment about that but uh you know where they they kind of uh rev the engines and started twisting knobs and uh pulling levers and stuff i was like yeah that kind of reminds me of uh you know chewy lock it down or i mm-hmm. wish punch i punch it yeah, I was just going to say, I wish when Morgan jumped on the back and said, we're all on, go, go. If Strand had, all they had to do was have Strand go punch it and then yeah. floor that throttle. It would have been perfect. Yeah. So the plane reminded me of the Millennium Falcon. And once I realized that, I accepted the plane. It took a long time, but I accepted the plane. It absolutely would not work. It would fall apart before they ever got to the end of the runway. Not that there was a runway, but before they ever got to the point where they could actually rotate and take off, it would have just, it would have shaken itself apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. But once I realized that it was the Millennium Falcon, uh, I think it was a little more accepting of the situation. But see, this is what I'm talking about. Like this, you just, you just have to go with it. You have to realize that there's, that amongst all the insanity, it's the Millennium Falcon. And that makes it a little bit better. Just a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and did you notice that the, uh, f- well, first of all, the, uh, the cockpit of the plane when it was jumping around and stuff was really well done. I really enjoyed that because the seats were all moving together. It was a really cool kind of practical effect where obviously somebody was shaking it, but the whole thing was shaking. The two seats were shaking 
at the same rate. It wasn't just them just doing spaceship acting. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was actually moving around, and uh, I thought that was really well done. Back of the plane was smooth as silk, but the front of the, pin, the plane, the cockpit, was uh, very, very, you know, moving around a lot and just jumping around, and uh, I thought that was really well done. Kind of realistic, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Well, that's cool. All right. Well, we'll we'll talk about the plane a, a little bit more. I want to go back to the beginning though here yeah. and start with uh, an email now from Dan in Columbus, Ohio. Dan writes, I think if they put this cold open at the beginning of the season, it would have made a lot of characters' actions make more sense. Morgan wanting to atone or do the right do right for people has been his thing for a while, but until recently it felt like Felt like he just dragged everybody else along. The cold open showed Alicia, Strand, and Morgan all wanting to make up for doing wrong fit quite well. I can see how the motivation could cause the group to do something crazy like fly over a mountain. So what Dan is referring to is that we get a cold open on this episode, which basically flashes back to when the gang is living in the denim factory and they're taking turns sitting on the radio trying to communicate to anybody who's out there who needs help and saying, we can help you. We can come find you. We have a place that's safe. You know, that's what we want to do. And then of course we, we do the sort of cut in time with the camera movement and we go from the past while they're doing this to, uh, to after Logan has taken over the place and has fooled them into going on their, their trip to rescue him. Um, so I think I think Dan's point about putting this at the beginning of the season actually again is a pretty good one and it would have helped us as the audience understand what they were doing a little bit better instead of just having the characters tell us. Yeah, it really was kind of weird to put it right at the end of the mid-season like this. I agree. Putting it right at the beginning or even somewhere in the first couple of episodes to, you know, remind us or to tell us what the hell they're doing or what they were thinking might have helped. Yeah, I I agree. It 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 just gives us a better framework for for their whole purpose, you know? And instead of us sitting around going, so they're just they want to help people? Like don't they have enough trouble just surviving on their own? I mean, it I think it would have helped us understand that much much better. Um well, some people want to give back, right? Even when they when they don't have very much, they still want to give back. Well, that's fine. So- but sh- show them, you know, do the personal Jesus montage at the beginning instead of the end. I think it would have fit in better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so that's it. That's right. uh, um, the other thing we find out in the cold open is that Logan and his people aren't really living at the denim factory. They're searching the place. They're kind of tearing it apart, looking for something. We find out later, of course, what that is. But what I thought was interesting about the beginning is that it shows some of Logan's people actually getting frustrated with him and saying, you know, this isn't going anywhere. Uh, Why are we bothering to do this? So that didn't really come up in the episode at all later on, but I kind of hope it plays a part in season 5B. Although I'm not totally convinced it will, but I was I was curious or interested to see that his people were frustrated with him. So maybe he isn't as rock solid as a leader as we kind of thought. Oh no, he's just this guy that has a pl- has a piece of information that he knows where it might be, and uh, he's convinced a, a bunch of people that uh, he's valuable. 
but he's not delivering on what he promised. So he doesn't, he has, has uh, diminishing value. Right, right. And so now he's jumping ship. He, is that what's happening at the end? Or like, yeah. is, he's sort of, he doesn't seem to have a group of people too much at the end. No, but, uh, well, he had, there's a group of people, but he got away from the group of people because he knows where the piece of information is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, he, and the, the people that he was going to give it to are, are no longer on his side. So now he sees an opportunity to get another group of people on his side with that same bit of information and make make himself a better, uh, a better deal, uh, with the information than he would have if he had gotten the information and given it to the original group. Right, 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 right. Is that vague enough and convoluted enough? Well, well, we can talk about Logan more right now. Um, Let me read this email here from Antoine in New York. He says, hey, Chris and Jason, help me out on this one. What exactly did the end of the episode set up? I could have just watched it again, but this feels better. Morgan and crew were told that they need to help the villain because they need fuel if they want to help people. Did I hear that correctly, or was there more to it? Seems like they can just say, screw you, and be done with it. Instead, the episode ended like he said something critical that they really need to think about, or else trouble may befall them. Help me if I missed something. So, what happened was <clears throat> his old partner, uh, what was his name? Clayton. Yeah. Had, in quotes, set up a group of people to... uh <laughs> develop a resource is basically what he said. What that means is somewhere out there, there is a group of people running a gasoline manufacturing facility of some kind. Mm-hmm. They're, they're pumping gas or pumping oil out of the ground and they're using it to manufacture gasoline. And so that gasoline is fresh gas. So it's not this stale bullshit that they finally mentioned in, in this one episode that they haven't mentioned before. Yep. So, uh, it is fresh gas. And so what Max Headroom is doing now is he's saying, uh, based on what, uh, what's her name mentioned in, in the middle of the episode was, you know, I'm that she said she was reading Clayton's something about Clayton. That's what she kept reading about. So Mm -hmm. that gave Max Headroom, what's his name? I got to stop calling him Max Headroom. Logan. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right there. So Logan, so, uh, Logan clued in that, uh, she has the diary. So he knows that now, uh, that she has the diary and that's why they couldn't find it at the denim factory. And so now that he knows she has the diary, she has the location in that diary. So now they can find this group of people that are manufacturing gasoline. And his deal is if you want to help people, you have to be able to get to the people in order to get to the people you need gas. Right. I know where there's a group or I know how to find a group of people that are manufacturing gas. So. Let me help you. Right. So Logan is, but what's his self-interest? He, he was looking for this, uh, gas manufacturing group before he came across Morgan and everybody. So he, he just wants it for the same reason. He wants it so he can power his trucks and vehicles or whatever. No, no, no. He wants it as a bargaining chip, uh, so that he can be of value. Uh, he can have value. So he went to this other group of convoy people and said, I can get you gas. He's doing this. He did the same thing with those convoy people that he's doing with our intrepid heroes. He's saying, I know where there's fresh gas. Why don't you let me help you and then have value? What convoy people are you talking about? 
the people that were searching the uh, the denim factory. They're not his people per se. He's just a group of people he made a deal with. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes some sense. So he was basically by himself, but he used yeah. to work with Clayton, so he knows that there is this gas production facility out there. Yep. And he brought on these people who uh, were at the beginning, and I just said seemed to be losing patience with him. He's yep. promised them the gas. Uh, but he hasn't been able to find it until he runs into uh, our group who has the the journal, and now he's trying to make a deal with us too to get to the gas and try to satisfy everybody. Right, except he's screwing over the convoy people. Like he's jumping ship, right? Because the convoy people are mad at him. Okay, and he doesn't think even if he tells them they have the uh, uh, they have the journal which has the uh, the information. Now the convoy people have to fight our intrepid heroes in order to get it. There's going to be a big battle. And he doesn't think he can convince them that that's a good idea after all the bullshit he put them through to try and find this uh, right this journal. So his best option is to jump ship and to make a deal with our heroes for right. the gas location. Okay, that's starting to fall into place for me then because one of the things Logan says at the end of this episode when he shows up and is talking to everybody, you know, after during their reuniting after the plane ride, he says, you know, we have to find this place or they're going to beat us to it. And I didn't yeah. understand who he was talking about they were, but yeah. it makes sense now if it's this other crew he was with who he's now kind of double-crossed to come yes. over to our side. So it seems like Logan isn't even going to be the villain slash bad guy. He's nope. probably going to join our group and we'll have to deal with the people he's recently left behind. Yes, which are probably based on uh, everything else I've seen in this uh, uh, half season so far, uh, they're not going to be a problem because nothing else has been a problem, right? I mean, sure, right. nuclear power plant, I'll just we'll just leave. And they did. They went like, they flew for like 20 minutes, half an hour. They're fine. They're out of the radiation cloud. No problem. Well, I, I did have a point about that too, but in, in a second, I just wanted to point out that um, all of this oil or gas production facility stuff wasn't really making me all that optimistic about the second half of the season because I thought this doesn't sound like a, an interesting storyline. But actually now that we've laid it out like this and we've realized that, or you've helped me realize that Logan is this sort of bad guy who's more of a double crosser than anything else. And the opportunistic. people- Opportunistic, yeah. And the people- I have friends like this. Well, of course. I mean, I know people like this too. But the people he's double crossed recently are going to be the ones that are a danger to us while they're trying to locate this gas facility. I feel like that's a little bit better. I mean, there could be some good story there. So I'm slightly, already slightly more optimistic about the second half of the season. Um, and then the one other thing I wanted to mention about that sort of the scene at the end there where Logan shows up is that Morgan is in the middle of talking to somebody new on the radio when Logan cuts him off. And yep. it's a it's a mystery woman asking for help. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, at least it's somebody new and there's always the potential for goodness when you introduce somebody new. So it is somebody new and uh, Logan was being opportunistic there by saying, hey, this is a great opportunity for me to show myself and to make my deal because now I can, instead of just 
going with the nebulas. If you want to continue helping people, you have to be able to get to them. Now we can go, if you want to help this person, you need gas. So this is a, a great opportunity for him to, uh, to show his cards and to make his deal. Right. And it, this may actually factor into the larger Walking Dead universe a little bit too, I think, because Trisha in Massachusetts wrote in, am I remembering correctly that the voice on the radio on the Walking Dead said, anyone out there? Was that one of the voices from fear? She's wondering, because I think the person that Morgan was talking to said that same phrase, anybody out there, uh, which to be fair is also sort of the name of the episode. So it yeah. ties into that as well. But you never know if they are merging these or bringing them tighter together. Any voice on a radio could relate to any other voice on a radio at this point. Yeah. Well, they're quantum radios, right? They use, uh, they use tachyons for communication. Uh, so they have unlimited range. Uh, so why not have this, whoever's talking on the radio to be the same person that's talking on the radio in the walking dead. It could be, could be. Uh, okay. Anything else about I'm Logan? Facetious. That's not, yeah, I know. Not real. I, I mean, know. Tachyons are real and they're kind of weird because you have, you know, entanglement. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't know that much about tachyons, but it's a cool word. <laughs> yeah. They use it in Star Trek. Of course they do. Tachyons are used for uh, communication in Star Trek. Very so you good. should watch Star Trek so you know what uh, what you're talking about. Oh, maybe I should. Or you know what I'm talking about. That would help once in a while. <laughs> uh, all right. Anything else about Logan as we move on here? Yeah. I'm a little disappointed he's not the bad guy. Are you? I am. I was hoping, you know, I could, I could go for a nice Max Headroom bad guy. You know, I do think he's, he would. He's usually been a good guy and stuff. I, do, I want him to be a bad guy. I do think he would make a pretty good bad guy. He seems like, I don't know. He just seems like a versatile enough actor to do all kinds of different things. So I guess it's a little bit of a bummer, but you know, I didn't really see this twist coming. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing too. You know who, you know, generally I've been thinking lately that, uh, you know, who makes good bad guys? Who makes a good stand, bad guy? Stand up comedians. Oh yeah? Comedians make, make good bad guys. So Look they- at John Lithgow in, uh, in Dexter. I mean, he's, he's an, he was an actor, not a stand up comedian. No, I'm not. He's a, he's a comedian. He's a funny guy, but John Lithgow, in my opinion, is phenomenal. Like he can, he can do anything he wants. Like he's done comedy. He can do music. He's done drama. He was that bad guy in that season of Dexter. He was the best bad guy there was in Dexter. I, I agree with that. I just don't think of him as a stand up comedian. No, I think not stand up. Okay, so just comedians. Comedians make bad guys, good bad guys. Okay. All I right. mean, look at uh, Robin Williams. He did a couple of bad guy movies. Um, there was a uh, one hour photo. Oh yeah. Where he, so he, uh, he did some serious roles that, uh, where he played a bad guy. There was another movie. I forget what it's called. It was something about, uh, in Alaska. Anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Comedians make bad, good bad guys. Chevy Chase was a bad guy in, uh, an episode of Law and Order and he was awesome. Really? Yes. All right. Well, funny guys make good bad guys. It's probably a, a thing, but I so, don't know. You know, not so much Max Headroom, but uh, if, you know, if they would have got, uh, they could have got a comedian, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, I think would have made a great bad guy in The Walking Dead. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, he's not really an actor. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld lately because it's on one of the streaming services I uh, subscribe to. and Is it? Which one? It's on Crave. And I really like it. I, I've 
I know some people yeah. aren't Seinfeld people, but I have always been a Seinfeld person. And going back to watch some of those episodes, they are funny. Oh, yeah. I, and Jerry Seinfeld is not an actor. He surrounded himself with good actors. And uh, he, he admits it that, you know, I don't act. I just say the lines and the other actors do all the work. Well, hence he created a show about himself. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. can just be himself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, what about Alicia in this episode, Jason? So she gets sprayed last week with radioactive zombie blood, gets in her mouth, and I guess she can just shower it off and everything's fine? Well, yes and no. I mean, getting all the, the, the dust off you is probably important so that you don't get any more irradiated than you already are. Uh, but, you know, I've been thinking about this. She might end up with pancreatic cancer five years down the road. But, you know, really, is that a limitation in, in the zombie apocalypse? Uh, not really, because you probably won't last five years anyway. Right. I'm sure getting horribly sick like that is not helpful. And uh, But you're right. I mean, your lifespan is probably shortened quite a bit living in the zombie apocalypse. So if, if she's going to be unhealthy a decade from now, you know... Who knows if that'll even be a problem for her, but it, right. I don't know. The show, it, it feels a little cheap, though, to build up how dangerous the zombie, the infected zombies are or the radioactive zombies are, and then actually have one of our characters come in contact with that material and then just shower it off the next episode. It feels a yeah. little cheap. It is, but it's the norm in television shows and movies where you have an obstacle that ends up being barely an obstacle not an obstacle yeah yeah so yeah it's uh oh my god uh, the nuclear power plant's gonna melt down and here comes the cloud avoid the cloud by you know 14 inches and everything's fine yeah turn right <laughs> yeah into the cloud they should have turned left i was like right why are you turning right i agree with that it kind of looked like they turned the wrong way but i don't know yeah maybe they did the uh the cgi for the cloud after they made the decision to do right it's like well we can't really do uh left because it's on the right and they couldn't figure it out. So it's like, well, we'll turn right and then go over it. I mean, it worked out for them. They got away. Yeah, because they didn't, uh, they came within inches of that cloud, but they never touched it. No. Because it's, uh, it's not a cloud. It's, uh, it's actually, uh, a blob from the movie, <laughs> The Blob. Nuclear, everyone knows that when a nuclear power plant, um, melts down, it creates a blob. Yeah. Everyone knows that, right? Everybody, yeah, yeah, I assume that. Okay. Here's the thing about Alicia in this episode that I really enjoyed, actually, is she's she's talking to, I think, Morgan and Grace when they're driving, and she's speaking about leading the dead away from the kid's treehouse. Remember, she tries to kill them all, and then she realizes she can't, so she runs away. And she says something about not, she just couldn't kill them anymore even though they're already dead i just couldn't kill any more of them and i feel like this maybe is one of the first times we've seen a character actually struggle with with killing the zombies yeah you know for the most part it seems like especially recently uh or since the very beginning that people have a hard don't have a hard time killing them that the zombies aren't that big of a threat yes in big numbers they are but you know, sometimes even in big numbers, they're not a threat as we've seen on this show. Alicia is a zombie killing machine this season, right? Yeah. But she gets to this point where she's like, I just couldn't do it anymore. You know, I don't know why. And I thought to myself, I really like 
this this concept and i wish they'd kind of explore it more within her psyche a little bit but so far they haven't and i realize that it's just one episode so they may be able to in the future but um i'm i'm glad they introduced it and maybe it'll give sort of alicia something to wrestle with as we go forward yeah i'd be surprised if they ever mentioned it again well, I think it came out of nowhere. It went nowhere. I forgot about it until you brought it up again. Well, it seemed like they made a point of it, though. It seemed like an important scene in this car as they were driving away. So I hope uh-huh. they don't forget they also about made it. The, uh, they also made the nuclear power plant important. And that didn't go anywhere, really. No. They made the zom- They made the radiated zombies important. That didn't go anywhere. Well, they're all part of it. I mean, Alicia got it in her mouth and... It's not a big deal. I Exactly. See, see, I don't think her getting sprayed with the radioactive zombie blood is going to be a big deal. I don't think that's going to come back. But I do think maybe this is. And I hope it does, because I think it's an interesting thing to for a character to explore. Can you I'd be surprised just, if this comes up again. Well, yeah. Can you just keep killing the zombies? You may be right. I don't know. Um it was immediate. Yes, they're undead. They're gross. They're they're right there in that uncanny valley. They're not human. Why would anybody have a problem with killing them? Well, I think in in real life, you know, I think I would have a really really hard time killing a human being. And zombies aren't that far removed from human beings. No, in- that for the first ten minutes, yeah, until you get used to it, and you know, your brain just goes, yeah, it's us or them, mm-hmm. and they are such a them. I'm going to just kill them. I suppose that's true. I mean, this this far into the zombie apocalypse, you you've got to be okay with it, or you're going to be killed. That's just the way it is. Yeah, you'd be surprised at the the sheer levels of atrocities that uh, human beings can accept as normal. Uh, I don't think I would, and and the fact that we can accept them very quickly. <laughs> uh, yeah, after I mean, being you introduced, can, it, think of uh, smell blindness. Right. You can walk into a room and it could really, really smell bad. And you're like, oh my God, I could never get used to this. And then like five minutes later, you don't even know. You're, you go nose blind to it. Yeah. You, yeah. You're absolutely nose blind. Uh, yeah. I mean, that that's true. That happens really, really quickly. Um, with zombies, I, I suppose that would happen too. All I'm saying is that I think it's an interesting thing for a character to wrestle with. And yes, maybe we should have gotten it four years ago at the beginning, but yep. but we're getting it now, and I sort of hope it becomes a thing, because Alicia feels has felt a little thin lately. You know, she's a she's an ass kicking zombie killing machine. But what else has she got going on? She's got yeah. missing her mother, her family. That's fine. They referenced that in this episode as they were taking off. Strand says, you know, your mom would be proud of you. But that's feels kind of obvious. So I like the idea of, of wrestling emotionally with something else. And if it's this, I'm okay with it. All right. You know, uh, you ever look through a prism or a lens and everything gets turned upside down and everything looks kind of weird? Yeah, of course. When you're a kid, they did a study in the seventies where they put uh, glasses, they made these glasses that they put on these, uh, these university students where it flipped all their, everything upside down so that they, uh, they saw the world as, as upside down and they made them wear these glasses constantly for like a week. Yeah. And after a while, your brain just kind of gets used to it and accepts it. And after a while, they reported that it, uh, they, you know, it, they didn't notice a difference anymore. And then when they took the glasses off, everything was upside down and they had to get used to that. 
people can people can get used to everything being flipped that quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Even adults, like I I can understand children because they adapt like crazy, but Well they they do, but you know, the image on the back of your retinas is is reversed, right? Okay. The the actual image that's projected on the back of your eyeball is uh, is upside down. So your brain interprets absolutely everything upside down right now, right this very second. Your so, visual input is upside down. So weird. So flipping that over, your brain's just, you know, your brain's going, yeah, that's kind of awkward and weird, but you know what? I can get used to that. And it does. Hmm. So getting used to killing uncanny valley, gross, you know, rotting things probably isn't that hard to get used to after a while. It might get physically tiring, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe she interpreted her exhaustion as I just couldn't kill them anymore because she's so tired. She's not thinking straight, but I, I, I really don't see this as a problem, but I could be wrong. Yeah. No, I'm not everybody. It wouldn't, I don't think it'd be a problem for me after a while. I think it'd be hard to get used to, but once you do get used to it after a couple of years, uh, well, I, you know, I wouldn't survive that long, but if I did, then I think mentally and emotionally, I could probably get used to it. Sure. But Fair I'm, enough. I'm, that's me. Yeah. Well, this scene was pretty much immediately followed by what I thought was one of the dumbest scenes in the episode where Morgan Grace and Alicia try to like duck down in the car and let the zombies just walk past them. <laughs> yeah. And they do for the most part. Uh-huh. Uh, which I thought was sort of dumb. Um, and then, and then there's a, then the, the, uh, reactor explodes and there's a huge explosion directly in front of the zombies where they're going. And one of them taps on the window of the car that they're hiding in. And the whole group turns around and comes back to them. I'm like, no, 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 no. Those zombies would continue walking towards that giant explosion. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was pretty dumb. And then they, then uh, Grace did the world's worst rum runner ever in the history of rum runners. Yeah. Destroyed the car, right? She bumped into another car and then they abandoned the truck. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> so it's like backing up, doing, you got to practice your, uh, you got to practice your, your reversing and then spinning around and then going straight. Uh, you, you know, you've done a lot of practice with this. I know that you can do a pretty decent rum runner in, uh, tense situations. Of course. Who right? can't yeah. really? Okay. Me, you know, I'm not as, uh, I'm not as skilled as you are in this, but, uh, you know, I practice. Uh-huh. Usually when I get in the car on the, on, uh, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays and I start the car and I'm about to drive, uh, Jasper and Jenny to, uh, work in daycare, uh, respectively in reverse order. And uh, I say, yeah, we're going to back out of the driveway, but I'm going to do a rum runner so that we can get going as quickly as possible, especially if it's raining. If it's raining, that's great. Sure. But uh, Grace is horrible at it. She's obviously didn't have a lot of practice and uh, bumped into another car. Like, first of all, she did it right when the car was there. If she had, you know, decided to jank on the wheel four seconds later, there would have been no car there. But this time, this time, and then she just, they just bumped into it. Like, cars don't immediately fuse together when you bump into them. No, no, they do not. So, I mean, they can get stuck together, but usually if you gun the gas, if it's still, if the car is still runnable and you gun the gas, you can probably separate the cars. So they just bumped into that car and like, well, that's the end of that truck. See ya. Yep. Let's just walk away on foot now and lead all these zombies right to where we don't want them to go. Dumbasses. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so that was probably my least favorite bit in the episode. We get Dwight and Dory, John Dory doing some stuff. They, I mean, they kind of just are stuck out there for a while and then make their way back to the plane just in the nick of time. 
which you could see coming a mile away. But I did enjoy the bit where John is on the radio with June and he uses the same words from Sherry's letter when he's talking to her. He tells her that if I'm not there, you get on that plane and take off. And he says, find something to live for, which is what yep. Sherry wrote to Dwight. So I, I thought that was pretty nice. Um, it, it, it felt like when Sherry wrote them, it was really negative, right? She was telling, she was telling Dwight to move on. Don't come looking for me. We'll never see each other again. Find something to live for. It's kind of a bummer. But when John says it to June, I couldn't help but feel like it was beautiful in a way. It's like, look, I'm trying my best to get to you, but your life is more important than mine. So take off in that airplane and leave me behind. I mean, I guess it's sad, but it felt like a positive instead of a negative. So I thought that was a good example of writing on this show. It was good. It was a nice moment. Yeah, it was definitely a nice moment. Um, and then they come to this painted tree and there's a message on the tree that says, if you're reading this, it means you're still here. So what was the point that just a random motivational message to get them going? Yeah. You don't, you do that, right? You leave motivational messages when you go to the bathroom kind of thing. <laughs> well, if you're reading this, you're doing all right. <laughs> you're doing okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it seemed like it was kind of out of nowhere. I don't think we've ever seen a a painted tree before in this way. Uh, is it going to be a thing or is no, it just a random totally thing? thing. No. Okay. It's just a random thing. I mean, it, it could have been, it was a little on the nose. Like he, he could have seen a bird and think, you know what? I can, uh, since I see that bird, I, I'm still alive and that means something and, means everything's going to be okay as long as you're still alive. But that's hard to convey on television. It's hard mm -hmm. to convey in a movie. It's easy to convey in a book, but this isn't a book. So they had to, they had to hit us over the head with it. So what they did was they put an inspirational message on a tree. All right. Fair enough. Well, it got, it gave Dwight and Dory the kick in the ass they needed because I guess they went and found Sherry's car, went back to Sherry's car, and that's what saved them. It's what drove them fast enough back to the plane. Um, and I, I did enjoy the scene where they, they got back to the plane and Dwight's driving and John's hanging out the window shooting zombies. That was pretty awesome. But that's because it's John Dory and he's amazing. He can do anything. Yeah, yes, he was good in this episode. I enjoyed Don, John Dory in this episode more than I have in quite some time. Don Jory as well. He's really good. Did I say Don Jory? No. <laughs> you almost did. <laughs> okay. John Dory. Yeah. So we're basically back at the plane now, and I've got a couple of communications here from listeners. The first is uh, Cindy in very hot Columbus, Ohio. Cindy says, while I had to keep chanting suspension of disbelief in my head <laughs> anytime they showed that airplane actually working, I thought it was a pretty good episode. And yeah. again, it's exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, here we have a call from our buddy Gemma in South Wales. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Gemma from South Wales calling with feedback for um, the mid-season finale of Fear the Walking Dead. Jason, I know you're going to have a lot of problems with the landing of this plane in this episode. I think you just have to kind of suspend your disbelief because I did. <laughs> And I focus more on John Dory proposing to June, which was nice. 
but yeah, the landing and everyone got off the plane so happy and all these reunions and I don't know, I, I don't know, it's kind of like a fear the walking dead as happy days or something. It's just you know, I think somebody um on another podcast compared it to when they reunited after Terminus in season five and you know, those are really good emotional reunions. I just don't feel it with fear for some reason. I mean, except Alicia seeing um daniel again that was nice but other than that it all feels a bit happy happy all right thanks Gemma. um yeah the the reunions a little bit i think she makes a good point in that it can be a little bit difficult to feel the emotion behind all those if you are so kind of cynical about the rest of the show i have to admit i liked seeing them come back together and it was nice seeing uh alicia and daniel reunite and and I, I I enjoyed sort of the introduction of characters that had never met a little bit, you know, when when uh, um, Sarah says to all the kids, "Hey, who's hungry? We got some vending machines that need a good rating." Like I don't know, I I feel like that felt pretty nice. And if I ever said that to my kids, they'd be super excited. We get to raid the vending machine? <laughs> yes, you know. Yeah, so. but just you know, you got to remind them that more people die raiding vending machines every year than die by shark attack or zombies for that matter. So, you're absolutely right, but I I think most of that worked okay for me. Uh but the flight, the flight in general. So, let's start at the beginning. We have yeah. we have takeoff, which happens more or less just in time because John and Dwight just get there. But even before that, we have this massive herd of zombies coming at them, slowly walking up the road with Morgan and um, Luciana and a few other characters slowly just walking backwards towards the plane instead of trying to kill a few of them. Um, I guess in a way it makes sense because you're not going to be able to kill all of them. So why even try it all? But at the same time, I feel like maybe taking out a few might have helped. I don't know. It seems like a weird scene to me. Well, don't waste the bullets unless you absolutely have to, right? I, I guess so. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. And all they were don't, re- don't put down a convenient cargo net where they can hang on to. As soon as they were laying that thing out, I'm like, what's that for? Zombies to hang on to? Exactly. It's like cut your hair. <laughs> They're going to grab onto your hair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought the whole takeoff was exciting enough with a few zombies hanging on. Um, I don't know why John just didn't immediately shoot them off. He tried to kick one off, but as we know, the guy is a sharpshooter, so he could have just taken out his gun, shot a couple. There were only two or three of them, right? Shot them and they would have been gone. So a little bit of, you know, manufactured tension there, I would say. But overall, I thought it was a pretty fun scene. And once they get in the air... Um, you know, it was okay. Uh, we had, we had John propose to June. So they're, they're now an engaged couple. Well, they're probably just married. Oh, I I guess so. Yeah. We're probably not going to have a wedding. It's like, do you want to marry me? Yeah, sure. Well, who's going to officiate? Max Headroom? You know, if, if I had it over to to do it over again, I'd get Max Headroom to marry me and my wife. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I guess if anyone. No, we had Father Casper do it. He was fine. He was fine. Yeah. <laughs> He's a nice priest. Um, I, yeah, but uh, you're probably right. Do you want to marry me? Sure. Okay. We're married. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. I mean, that's how it works. why, why go through the traditional formal thing? It's just like you, me hitched. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Done. 
I mean, he's more romantic than that. Well, that's so maybe true. he will. Maybe he will insist on some kind of ceremony. You know, they get dressed up in their cowboy best and mm-hmm. uh, stand in front of a Morgan. Who yeah, would do it? It's some kind of painted tree with an emotion uh, with an inspirational message on it. If only Father Gabe were here. Oh, geez, if only he were. <laughs> yeah. uh, during the flight, we also have Morgan and Alicia agree once again that they're going to continue to help people, but also make sure they're living their own lives. So just in case we forgot that. Uh, and then we get the weird scene where Grace stands up, breaks Morgan's stick, throws half of it out the back of the plane, and says she fixed it. Morgan thanks her for it, and they move on. Uh, well, she broke off the bloody part where the zombie, the uh, uh, the radioactive zombie blood, just like Spider-Man, because he had radioactive blood, right? Yeah. But uh, the radioactive zombie blood was on the end of the stick, so she broke that part off and threw it away. Uh, but the rest of the stick is fine now, even so- though it was wrapped in plastic and the whole stick should have gone, you know, whatever. So that's all it was. She was just breaking off the bloody end and was like, you know what? Everything I said before was BS. We could have just sawed this off and here you go. You're fine. Uh, yeah. I mean, the stick's not long enough now. I don't know why he's kept, why he kept it. I'd have thrown it away. I'm like, this isn't long enough. I'm going to get myself another mop handle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't quite sure what was going on here. I mean, I guess that makes sense. She broke off part of it that wasn't contaminated, but I don't know. It seemed kind of like it was out of nowhere. And why didn't they do this? Why did she choose this moment to do that? I guess they were escaping. They were leaving the the dangerous zone behind. And so they had to leave the dangerous part of the stick behind as they left. But yeah, I thought it was a little strange. If um, I was on a pretty crappy airplane in the back with a big open door, uh, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't take my seatbelt off. No, do not stand up and lean out like, Hold on to something, be, for crying out loud. I'd, I'd probably yell at Morgan, throw that stick out the window, please. <laughs> yes, please. Well, Instead of being can. all dramatic about it. Yeah, well, I don't know. That's not how uh, Grace handled it. And then landing. Uh, the first thing that struck me is they took off in complete full daylight, and they were landing during pitch darkness. So that flight had to be at least an hour, more than an hour. Well, it could be, yeah, it depends, but yeah, okay, i give you an hour. I mean, the sun, if they if they were taking off just before sunset, but they were landing in complete darkness, the sun has to have been down for a little while, so I feel like that flight was longer than I expected it to be, um, but the landing overall was pretty good, you know? They had a runway that was lit up, and then it wasn't lit up, and it almost didn't get lit up again until they were, you know basically just meters off the ground. Wendell became a hero crawling across and plugging it in again. So it was all pretty good. I thought I didn't mind it. Yeah. So if I learned anything from back to the future, it's that when you plug in something, uh, you tie a knot in it so that it doesn't come unplugged by just kicking it or knocking it over. Yes. (laughs) So, and I'm pretty sure everybody here has seen back to the future. Not everybody on the podcast, but maybe on the podcast, but on the on the uh, Fear of the Walking Dead. I mean, it happened after Back to the Future, right? So they've all seen Doc Brown try and uh, negotiate that power cable for uh, getting one point one one point twenty one gigawatts uh, into the uh, into the DeLorean. So yeah, you know, tie a knot in it to mm-hmm. make sure it doesn't get kicked kicked out. Yeah, it's very very important. But nonetheless, 
uh, um, Wendell managed to get her done and light up that runway just as they were coming in. So they landed successfully. The plane didn't explode. They didn't crash it this time. And, you know, everything kind of worked out. Nobody died. Uh, and we had the big reunion after. So I thought it was pretty fun. Sean in Richmond, Virginia wrote in and said, we end the season with Wendell turning his back to a walker and hoping it hits his chair just right instead of just shooting it. He didn't have a problem shooting the second walker that comes along or better yet, stick him in the head. But of course this was done just so we could have that suspenseful moment of, oh my, will they be able to land the plane? Was there any doubt in anyone's mind that they wouldn't land safely, even if they crashed? I guess not really. Well, any landing you can walk away from is a good landing. Yeah, that's first true. of all, <laughs> and uh, yeah, shooting the first zombie probably wasn't ideal because of the noise. Uh, you know, shooting the first zombie you see is going to attract seven other zombies in the background. Mm-hmm. It's like if you're walking around and you see a bunny. If you see a bunny rabbit. Uh, in, like we got bunny rabbits in our in our neighborhood. If you see one bunny rabbit, there's 30 more bunny rabbits within spitting distance. Like <laughs> they do breed like bunnies, right? Yep. So if you see one bunny rabbit, there's like a whole bunch of them or, you know, raccoons for that matter. Uh, so zombies are like that. You know, if you see one zombie, there's seven of seven other ones, uh, you know, within shouting distance. So try and make as little noise. If you can dispatch the single lone zombie without making noise, you do it that way. Mm-hmm. So the second zombie, he was in a situation. So at that point, there was already two zombies attacking, already making noise. So shooting the second zombie was uh, warranted in that case. So I don't think his decisions were bad. I think that the, uh, <laughs> the magic spiky things that come out of his chair, which was kind of funny. It, uh, it was like a porcupine. Uh-huh. So that was pretty good. We've but, seen those before, but yeah, I know what you mean. They're, they're a bit dumb, but again, I mean, sort of, sort of cool. If you just take them for what they are on face value. Yeah. Carry a, carry a, a shotgun and a pole arm. I mean, is that so hard so that you can, you have a nice stick or a long spear, right? It doesn't have to be a, a glaive guise arm or anything like that. It just has to be this spear thing that you can uh, skewer zombies in the skull with mm-hmm. so that you can dispatch them quietly from a distance. And then if you need to, you break out the shotgun, which he has on a, you know, a quick release, uh, contraption, which was awesome. <laughs> also very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got one last email here. That's a little longer, but I think it sums up the episode pretty well. This comes from Lisa and Richard, all the way from Narwaran, Victoria, Australia. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But Lisa and Richard say, This mid-season finale was a glass-half-full episode. The group has achieved what would have been impossible back in the old days of fear and won the battle with a very sick aircraft, maybe through blind faith in themselves, and did their mission to help those in need. The mid-season finale is certainly better than the two previous episodes and looks towards a more optimistic direction for what may come in the next half. It was no surprise to me that Alicia, and indeed everyone else, survived every possible roadblock that fear has thrown at them so far this season. From a sick aircraft, to irradiated zombies, to an OMG the reactor is about to melt down, Alicia, Morgan, and the rest of our survivors have met every setback with patient resolve. True love flourished. Love you, Dharma and John. 
New love bloomed, and almost everyone had their chance to shine bright like a diamond, particularly Wendell. Thank goodness you were okay after that runway incident. On the downside, our new antagonist, Logan, had a short stint on screen after being absent for almost the entire season. Seeing Matt Frewer only for a few moments was a very sad reminder of how much he could have contributed to the last several episodes had this season been thought out a little more differently. Althea, a character that is starting to wear thinner than some of the kids' clothes, and did we really need to hear her say that the runway lights were the prettiest thing I've seen since the end of everything? That was a little corny. Overall, I give the mid-season finale 7 out of 10 walkie-talkies. I mean zombies. <laughs> the sec- she said it was the second prettiest thing she's seen You're since right. the end of all everything, because that's what uh, what's her name said to her? Isabel. Yeah, that's, yeah. uh, you're right. I wanted to correct that as well. Second prettiest thing. Um, but I think this email from Lisa and Richard pretty much sums up this episode for me. Uh, seven out of 10 maybe, but uh, there was some good, there was some bad overall. The first half of this season, uh, definitely not great. Um, but I'm changing my perspective a little bit of how I approach this show and that helps. So, um, I would agree with what the two of them said here. I don't know how you feel. Uh, I would agree with that. I'd give it seven and a half thumbs up. Okay. Seven and a half, even better. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know how you, how many thumbs you have, but (laughs) need some help with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you get some buddies together and do it. You can, everybody can thumb themselves up. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, that is the first half of season five of Fear the Walking Dead. We have the second half coming up just in a few weeks from now. So we don't have a long break. What's the date? Uh, you know, um, off the top of my head, no, (laughs) but it's only a few weeks away and there's a trailer out there. Of course, it came out at San Diego Comic-Con. I watched that trailer before I saw this episode. So I right. kind of had an idea of what was going on or at least what characters would still be in the second half of the season. Um, so that was a bit weird, but uh, the trailer's out there. And as promised, we're going to have Jason watch it right now and then react to it. Here's the date. So fear comes back on August 11th. <laughs> Right? What? It's soon. That's it. I know. Well, they got like, oh, man. They got to squeeze eight more episodes in before then. Episode nine is August the 11th, written by David Johnson. Uh, we don't know who directed it. So, yeah, that's that. All right. So, do you have the do you have the trailer queued up there, Mr. Miles? I do not. Uh, give me a second here. All right. We're gonna take a quick pause. When we come back, Jason will have seen the trailer, and we will. See what he thinks about it. Hello, yeah, it's been a while. Not much. How about you? I'm not sure why I called. I guess I really just wanted to talk to you. And I was thinking maybe later on we could get together for a while. It's been such a long time and I really do miss your smile. I'm not talking about moving in and I don't want to change your life. But there's a warm wind 
Sometimes you just can't say goodbye. Okay, everyone. Jason's now watched the trailer for season 5B of Fear the Walking Dead. I'm going to play this little clip from our friend Lee in St. Catharines before we sure. get his reaction. I bet Jason just loved that trailer because it totally reminded me of like an 80s sitcom show where they hit like the happy-go-lucky music and it was like a montage of it. Jason loved it. Is Lee right or is Lee wrong? <sighs> I'm not sure how I feel about this trailer. I mean, yeah, 80s music, let's, you know, bring it on. I thought for sure it was going to be the... Uh, I got confused by the song at the beginning and I thought it was going to be the, uh, believe it or not, I'm walking on air from the greatest American hero, uh-huh. uh, television show, which would have been better in my opinion. I'm confused by this. Are they turning the show into a found footage show? Well, they're doing one episode at least that is all. A whole episode. Yeah. Interviews like office style. So sort of interviewee, sort of found footagey. I think it's episode nine coming back right after the break. Uh, but that's what they're going to do. And, and this, the first bit of this trailer focused on that quite a bit. Yep. Uh, and then we get the whole music, very uplifting type music uh, segment in the middle. And then the, the last third of it, which isn't probably even a third, but the last bit of it felt like the most kind of traditional trailer type thing, right? It wasn't goofy. It showed some stuff, and uh, I don't know. It just felt like this is what we're we expect from a trailer. But before that, everything kind of bothered me. It it's a mess. I mean, the the trailer itself is a mess, and makes me worry that the second half of this season is going to be a mess. They're all over the place. Found footage, not found footage. Uh, you know, weird. I think that song came out in the seventies. I don't quite believe it came out in the eighties, but it it. Kind of has an 80s sound. I'm usually good at pointing, pinpointing time frames of music. But uh, the song seemed a little incongruous, and I blame incongruous, and I blame Guardians of the Galaxy for that because Guardians of the Galaxy kind of leaned into that 80s music kind of thing, and then everybody kind of jumped on board with that. And this feels like they're jumping on board with that. So I blame James Gunn. What it well, Guardians of the Galaxy explained their use of the music in universe very well, in it, my opinion. It did, yes. From from a context point of view, it made perfect sense. But uh-huh. they kind of spearheaded this uh, '80s soundtrack kind of thing that's happening right now. Okay, but this to me, remember a couple of weeks ago, you brought up or you mentioned that re-edit of a trailer for The Shining. Yeah, shining. Right, that makes it sound like, look and sound like a happy, upbeat, you know, romantic comedy almost. Using this music in this trailer for this show felt like it was a parody of itself, in my opinion. It it felt like they were parodying themselves, making this show seem like something it's not uh, for a laugh. And I just don't think it worked very well. The the found footage stuff before that and that we get, you know, at certain points throughout this whole thing is because we have this character of Al who films everything and wants to tell the story. And that's never worked very well for me, but they've kind of done it in small doses, right? Now we're going to get an entire episode of that. And I yeah. hope that doesn't drive me insane, but I have a bad feeling it might. Uh, so So there's that. And then finally, at the end of this, we kind of get just your traditional trailer type stuff, and that's when it 
works a little bit better for me, but it's all over the place. And it, it, it is a bit of a mess. And I'd really love to see you tonight. It was released in May of 1976. So yeah, it didn't feel like an 80s song to me, but uh, it's still a good song. I'm not saying the song is bad, but it's yeah. misused here. In yeah, it is misused. I think it, it does feel a bit misused uh, and that they were jumping on a bit of a bandwagon. Uh, this just trailer seems like a mess. And spoiler alert, the last shot was them standing in a gasoline manufacturing facility, by oh, the way. I didn't even realize that, but obviously <laughs> they get there then, I suppose. Yeah, and they have to defend it. So, you know, here we are. Yep. Yep. Well, I mean, that's, that's where we're at. So, uh, one more time, Jason, just take this show for what it is, find the good stuff. And if they're going to do an office style episode where the characters are interviewed and it's handheld cameras and it's found footage type thing, maybe we just go with it. Maybe it will be fine. Did they ever... Has another show done that where they kind of switch gears into a found footage? I can think of a movie that did that, and I really disliked the movie. Uh, it was uh, End of Watch. You remember that Jake Gyllenhaal uh, movie where he was a police officer and had to. His partner was the guy uh, from the Ant Man movies. That was the, the comic relief guy from the Ant Man movies. So it was End of Watch. It billed itself as a uh, body cam police drama, right? Yeah. But they didn't stick to that. They had the body cam for part of the movie, and then it was you know tr shot traditionally for another part of the movie, and it never really gelled on either one. It was kind of this weird hybrid that didn't make any internal sense. Uh, and I like Jake Gyllenhaal. I like that actor. I forget his name at the moment. I like the- uh, Michael Pena. Yeah, that's Michael Pena, and there's uh, Anna Kendrick. Anna Kendrick as the uh, as the love interest. You know, solid cast, mm -hmm. solid cast. They made uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena hang out together for months so that they would have this, uh, uh, you know, good friends, uh, partners, uh, police partners kind of vibe to them. Uh, so they they really spent a lot of time honing those characters by spending a lot of time, months and months and months. They hung out every day in order to be, so they could convey that kind of friendship on screen. And the whole movie on paper looks fantastic, but execution wise, it was found footage. It was not found footage. It was, you know, body cam, not body cam. It was all over the place. It didn't make a lot of sense. I did not enjoy the movie. Uh, I went to see it in New York City when I was there with you, when we went to uh, the um, New York Comic-Con. Comic -Con, yeah. The New York Comic-Con. Yeah. Uh, so I went to see it there in a weird theater that took me half an hour to get from the front door to the actual theater. Uh, <laughs> okay. I did not enjoy this movie. And uh, I don't think I'm going to enjoy this episode of Fear the Walking Dead if they do this. Well. Because... They didn't do it all along. I like a good found footage kind of uh, film. I can enjoy that, but mm -hmm. you have to commit and you can't just commit for a whole episode. It's better than not committing for a whole episode, but it's still not uh, this show. This show is not found footage. No, we it's, don't know for sure that if this is going to be the full episode or not, even to be honest. And it just uh, feels gimmicky to me. They can't win because if they do it for a whole episode, then 
Uh, I'm, I'd like it better than it not being a whole episode, but I still won't like it because it's not the whole show. Yep. So if they do it for a whole episode, I'm going to ding them. If they don't do it for a whole episode, I'm going to ding them. Sure. Well, I think it looks like a gimmick and they're just, you know, trying something different, I suppose. Uh, the only other thing I think I wanted to mention about this trailer is there is at least two shots of painted trees with messages on them. I don't know if you noticed that. No, but I did, I did, I did. Seems like that's going to be a thing. It's going to be a thing. Who's leaving those messages? What's their purpose? Don't know, but I guess the one that John Dory found isn't the only one. No, it's probably the lady on the radio that they talked to just before the end of the episode. Well, maybe you're right. Uh, we'll have to wait and find out. You got the tree painters. It's like the whisperers, only different. <laughs> only they paint trees and do it really loudly. Yeah, and they're more <laughs> threatening. Yes, I guess so. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's that. We're back in three weeks, everyone, to talk about the mid-season premiere of Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, look forward to that. We may have a podcast in between. I am not sure. We'll, it's summertime. You know, people are away and uh, got other things going on. So we'll have to see if we can fit a podcast in. Not sure right now. We'll see. But if not, we'll be back the week that Fear returns for episode nine. And I look forward to doing that. So thanks so much for to everyone for tuning in this first half season. Uh, I have had a, more than one person email me and say, please talk about a different show, a show that you like. And... I can under- to clear our palate. I, yeah, I can understand that that feeling. Um, and, you know, maybe it's something we'll do, but we also have to cover The Walking Dead. That is our main mode of operation here. So Okay, so do. here's the deal. We're yep. going to do uh, an actor spotlight on uh, Max Headroom, and we're going to watch the episode of Star Trek that he was in, Star Trek The Next Generation. Okay. Uh, don't forget, we've also promised to watch Dead Set, and I swear I want to do that. I just, when I said we'd do that in the hiatus, I didn't know it would only be a three-week hiatus, and that's <laughs> a frigging... minute hiatus. Yeah, that's a frigging six-episode, I think six-episode series, uh, which is a lot to watch and podcast about in that time period, so... You could do 44 minutes of Star Trek, can't you? Yeah, I could do that. All right, I'll send you an episode title. We'll watch it. Well, we can't just watch that. We have to find some other Max Headroom stuff, too. Well, like what? Back to the Future? What? He wasn't in Back, Back to the Future. Yeah, he Back to the Future Part 2. He was in the uh, Cafe 80s. Oh, sorry. He was on screen. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. count. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes, it does. He was playing Max Headroom. <laughs> yes, he was. That's true. Uh, okay, maybe we'll do that. I don't know. We have to decide on our end what's going on here. Uh, but rest assured, we'll be back in three weeks to cover Fear the Walking Dead, episode nine. Okay. Uh, in the meantime, everyone, thank you so much. If you'd like to send in some comments or thoughts, visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com. Click on Send Voicemail to send a message. That's where you can find all of our episodes, too. So if you're a new listener, everything is there. You can go back, hear what we had to say about previous seasons of Fear or any of the nine current seasons of The Walking Dead. Plus, we've talked about Star Wars movies. We've talked about Avengers movies. We've reviewed the occasional other zombie movies. So there's all kinds of good stuff from the past nearly 10 years. Oh my God, Jason, we're a month, just over a month away from our 10-year anniversary doing this. Decade. That's crazy. It is kind of bonkers, actually. 
we'll talk about that more as that date approaches. Um, so yeah, go to the website, find all our past episodes, send us a voicemail. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead or at talking dead on Twitter. And you can send email to talking dead podcast at gmail.com. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. Until next time, which might be not for about three weeks. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.